0: happy birthday! Uh, What an amazing year it has been for Prodigal Church. We didn't know what was going to happen when we felt God calling us to start this new church to create a place that really wanted to focus in on loving God and loving people. A place that accepts the invitation of Jesus to a life called out of rebellious living and out of religious living. Uh, Thank you for being a part of this. The church is not a building, we know that really well. you're the church. You have made this place amazing. And I'm so excited for our future together and not just in the months and years ahead, but also for the very near future ahead of us. Uh, The party tonight is going to be off the hook. Do people still say that? Um, Okay. It's going to be great. It's four to seven in the North Gym. We encourage you to come back. My wife and I have two kids, uh, and this past summer has been fun. Our daughter Ivy is no longer a newborn. She's uh, a full-on toddler, and uh, she doesn't really want to always do what her brother Dex wants to do. And last summer, she was just along for the ride, and this past summer, she wants to kind of do her own thing. And so, sometimes, Sarah or I will each take one kid, and then just spend quality time with that child. If you have more more than one kid, you know that this can be a valuable thing. And this past summer, it just so happened that Sarah took Dex out to dinner, um, like a date night, uh, two nights in a row. And so I had our daughter Ivy and we're in the back uh, playing in the backyard, having a great time. And as we're playing in the backyard, I get a text from another pastor in town. And he says this, hey man, how's the church going? Let's hang out sometime. And I read the text and immediately responded, dude, it's great, bro. What's your schedule like next week? Apparently I'm a surfer. Dude, it's great, bro. Uh, (laughs) Then I send a text to my wife, Sarah, while she's at dinner with Dex, and I say, you enjoying consecutive date nights with your man? Because me and my girl are having a blast. And then I get this response, huh? I accidentally sent that message to the pastor So I respond back to him and I go, LOL, that was for my wife, Sarah, which I thought resolved it until I reread my initial text about a date night with your man and me with my girl. So then we text back and forth a little bit and we talk about where we're gonna meet. And I say, I say, Teasers River Park, question mark. And his next response told me everything I need to know about what he thought of me as a husband and as a man of God. Is that a strip club? Now, this pastor's on a mission now to meet with me, probably to pray for me in my marriage. Just to be clear, Teaser's is a place that sells tea. There are no strip clubs in River Park. There were some mixed messages there. And when you don't know someone that well, when you don't know that they're happily married, and they have a son and a daughter, things can easily be misunderstood. The same is true with God. What is God like? It's the question of humanity. Is he mean and angry with me and the world and that's why all these bad things are happening? Is he cold and distant because it doesn't seem like any of my prayers are being answered? We often feel like we're getting mixed messages, right? Things are getting lost in the translation of our present circumstances. And I was praying and planning about what I was gonna share at our first birthday. I was drawn to my favorite chapter in the Bible. And in this chapter, we get a glimpse of God behind the curtain. We are given his perspective in such intimate detail that it rivals, it's second only to the Gospels and the portrayal we see of Christ. It is Hosea chapter 11. And everybody loves a good love story and you're gonna love this one. The whole Bible is a love story. And I've only been in love once. And so as I look to the love story of God and Israel, God and his people, I will relate often back to my own personal experience of falling and being in love. And in these first few verses, it's like God is pulling out the family photo album. It's God retelling the story of Israel, his people. It says this in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This refers to the Exodus, which we're gonna be exploring over the next six weeks, starting next week. So we encourage you to come back and not miss a Sunday. It's, a, it's the pivotal story in the Old Testament uh, story of Israel. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. What a sad reality. The more God called them, the more and further they went away from him. Have you ever experienced that kind of rejection? I remember in 1997, there was this girl, um, let's just call her Sarah for the sake of the story. Um, and I had a crush on her. I had a crush on her. Here's a picture of me and this Sarah um, in my high school graduation. Uh, I remember liking her so much. I went into her, in, I went into her Spanish class and sang an sync song to her and asked her to prom. And there were times in high school when she liked me back, but there were many more times when she did not. And during one of those times where she didn't like me back, I was like, I gotta step up my game. Um, and I know what you're thinking. No, dude. Don't do that. She's just not that into you. I had a plan, okay? I was gonna step up my game in a cool way. You see, back in the late 1990s, uh, pagers were awesome. And uh, you could page someone hello by just texting numbers and flipping the phone upside down. But I would, I would, I would. Uh, I would call her and I'd go, hey, did you you page me? And she's going to go, no. And I'm like, oh, weird, because I just got this page from, and they left this number. That's so strange. So how's it going? (laughs) This is not cool. I thought it was cool. It's not. And I would like stop by her house randomly. Oh, I was just in the area. All the time, not realizing that the harder I tried, the further she went away from me. But the more they called, the more they went away from me. What's God's response to Israel running away from him? Now, the whole book of Hosea really speaks into this, but no clearer than in chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. God is speaking about his people and he he refers to them as a her or as a she. And this happens quite a bit in the scriptures. And there's so much in this tiny little verse. Uh, The word win her back once again is the Hebrew word pathah. It means to allure, to persuade, to woo, or to romance. God says, I will romance you back to me. God is in the business of wooing or romancing his people. I remember as a teenager trying to woo Sarah. Our first date, we, were, uh, we went on a triple date with two friends. Total of four friends. Um, and we went miniature golfing at Blackbeard's Family Fun Center. And... Uh, So the guys, and the girls, and we got teams, and we're going to keep track of score and stuff. And so we get to Blackbeard's Family Fun Center, and I'm trying to woo her, so I'm going to pay for both of us, right? And so I go, hey, you look so pretty over there. Go stand over there real quick while I get this. Then I pull out my two-for-one coupon, and I'm like, hey, dude. And then the guy goes, hey, Bruce, this guy's got a two-for-one coupon. Uh, Do we still take this? Shh, keep it down, keep it down. Hey, you look cute. Um... And then we pick out our balls and I'm like, I got the red one. And then we go and miniature golf. And the whole time we're miniature golfing, I'm high-fiving her every time she misses a putt. And I'm like, great try. And then she makes it. I'm like, high-five again. One time our hands touched, it was electric, you know, uh, and I am just trying to woo her the whole time, giggling, uh, pushing each other, patah, wooing, romancing as best I could. God is wooing his people. And he says this in verse 14, but then I will win her back once again. I will woo her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. Lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. Sounds a bit creepy, right? I don't want to be wooed if you're going to lead me into the desert. Now, if I'm being led to the desert, lead me. Spirit, lead me. Uh, Take me there. But not to the desert. Just add an S. Now, to grasp what God is saying here, we have to understand a couple things. The desert is where God first courted his people, once again, where? In the book of Exodus. He led them out of slavery, out of Egypt with Moses, and he wooed them. He patahed them. He romanced them in the desert, and they became his people in a new way. So when he says, I will lead you into the desert, he's not saying, I'm gonna take you into a barren wasteland. He's saying, I'll take you back to our first date. I'll take you back to Blackbeard's Family Fun Center. Remember where it all began, where we began to fall in love? God's a wooer, and he wants to woo you back. Perhaps even now he's beginning to woo you, drawing you to greater love. And you might be in a desert right now asking, where's the life? Everything you see is dead. There's a faith and a love that is found in desert wastelands that's not found in the mountaintops of life. Some of you are in a desert wasteland, and God is with you in your desert, drawing you to Him. I just know that, man, someone in this place needs to hear that this morning. You've been in this wasteland, wondering, wandering, God, where are you? He's drawing you near to Himself. Verse 3 says this, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize It was I who healed them. What a beautiful image. The God of the universe teaching his people how to walk. Isn't that special? We were all there, and maybe we've seen a little baby trying. It's just an amazing thing. And God is saying, it was I who taught Israel how to walk. Even when we run away, God was still there healing and helping. If you're far away from God, he still answers. He still blesses. Not, and this will be on the screens, not to condone the distance between you and him, but to connect the distance between you and him. When we're in sin and we're messing up and we're far away from God, he still blesses us. Not to say, I love what you're doing, but rather to draw you to him. Not to condone the distance between you and him, but to connect it. Verse 4, the father-son metaphor continues. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. God leads us with cords of human kindness and his love. This is the kind of leadership God desires, kindness and love. And not only that, but it's also one of removing yokes that are oppressive. That he doesn't just lead with kindness and love, but he also lifts the yokes that are oppressive. We speak out against the injustices of our world. Again, this is another reference to God's deliverance of the people from Egyptian slavery. Following Jesus is not about a path, only about a path towards gentleness and love, but it's also about removing the things that have enslaved us in the past. It's a removing of that yoke. God himself stoops down to feed them. What a powerful image of the God of the universe stooping down to feed a sheep. This is not the typical image of the ancient world deities. No, God is powerful. You serve me, you bow down to me, and here's God stooping to his creation. God is vulnerable. But now things, things get a little heated. Now God's frustrated. He's ticked. And he tells the story of the failure of his people. His sadness, his sadness of when Israel was a child, I loved him. I taught him how to walk. I led them with ties of, 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 of compassion and love. His sadness gives way to anger. It says this, will they not return to Egypt? Will they not go back to slavery? and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their profits put, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. God's had enough. He fed them, he pursued them, he freed them from slavery, but the more he pursued them, the further they went away from him. This passage, this turn in the chapter is meant to arise something in its readers, right? Yes, finally, they deserve it. They had it coming. He spent all this time making a case against his people. Now it's time for the verdict. This is where our sense of justice kicks in. God's done amazing and beautiful things to Israel. God freed you. God healed you. God blessed you. And you cheated on him. You left him high and dry. He has shown you love and you've shown him the finger. Now it's time for the hammer. Now it's time for the papers. He gave you a chance, chance after chance after chance. This is meant to arise in us a sense of, yeah, get them, God. They deserve it. They had it coming. But in verse 8 comes the ultimate reversal. Here comes the earth-shattering proclamation that God is not like you and me. God is not like us. Brace yourselves. Verse 8, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All of my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce angle, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. In one breath, he says, even if you cry out to me, I'll by no means exalt you. And then the next verse, it's how can I do it? How can I give you up? How could I do this to you? Compassion. My heart is tearing up within me. My compassion overflows. The agony of a mother's compassion and a father's love appear in the how. How could I do it? Here, one must picture God, hands extended in love, sobbing at the thought of punishing his rebellious and wayward son. Pain pervades the scene. Other translations say it this way in the New King James. My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. This is the the God of the universe speaking. My heart is turned over within me. All of my compassions are kindled. I love that. The message translation, I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My insides churn in protest. My heart beats for you, and my love for you stirs up my pity. Do you see this? God is not a cold computer or philosophical abstract concept. He says, I can't make you like Adma and Zebowim, which were two cities overturned when Sodom and Gomorrah fell. No, instead of overturning Israel like he overturned Sodom and Gomorrah, God's heart is overturned with compassion and love. What a marvelous expression of love and grace. Although we may understand some aspects of God's just punishment of sin, we are much less able to comprehend the depths in the expression of God's divine love. It's scandalous. It doesn't make sense. That's why we have the temptation to judge others and see God as this Thor kind of in the sky firing lightning bolts from heaven down and to punish people. We comprehend the sense of punishment and justice much better than we comprehend God's love. Because grace isn't fair, because love isn't logical. For I am God and not a man. He doesn't fit our conceptions and he never will. Uh, This past summer, during the back to school kind of buzz where ads are on the TV, ads are on the radios, you go to a store and you see every, all the new backpacks and folders and clothes. read a story. of a little girl leaving her house with new clothes on, new backpack on the first day of school, and a stranger waves at her and says, have a great first day at school. The six-year-old girl stops in amazement and says, how did you know? Just as adults comprehend things that children cannot comprehend, so God knows so much more than we do. How much greater is the distance of the God of the universe to mere humans than a six-year-old girl to an adult? He is inexhaustible, immeasurable, unfathomable, eternal, immortal, invisible. Yet his essence and his character is shown to us through Jesus. In Hosea 11, looks back at Israel's past, scans around Israel's present circumstances, but then looks ahead to a hope in a future. Verse 10, they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Now, the strange and unexpected word here in this passage is actually the word west. They will come from the west. Uh, Here's a map of ancient Israel. Uh, And Egypt is kind of to the west, but actually in the scriptures, whenever Egypt is referred to, it's always referred to as the south. So what's immediately west of Israel The sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, And that's the literal word for west in Hebrew is the sea, yom. Israel has strayed so far that at least some of Israel have traveled into the great unknown. The sea was this place of violence. If you go out into the wild sea, if you go out into the abyss, you may never come back. But his love is so all-encompassing that he calls Israel back to himself that even if you've gone into the abyss, even if you've gone to the wild waters of the unknown out west, I will call you back. No matter how far you've gone, even if you are hopelessly lost into the wild unknown, his love can bring you back. His love can bring that person you care about back. There is hope in Jesus. This chapter has it all. The pain of God, the perplexity of God, the purpose of God, the passion of God. In the early 2000s, I was a a young 22-year-old youth pastor. Uh, Being a youth pastor is a great responsibility to be able to speak into the lives of teenagers who don't always have it easy. Being a teenager is really hard sometimes. And one night, I'm chatting with this sophomore in high school, and I've only told this story one time in my 17 years in ministry. I've only told it one other time. And no one else is around, and this, this teenage boy is telling me about some things that happened to him when he was younger. He begins to tell me these secrets, and I'm, I, I can't believe it. And he tells me about an adult who has influence in his life, who molested him, repeatedly over a span of years. Um, A lot of tears that night, and the next morning, I took it to the authorities, and as he was arrested, many more young people came forward, and there was a very public trial here in our city. Uh, The news was there. He hired a big-name defense attorney known for getting people like this off the hook. And I was called to testify. And I get up on the stand, and this defense attorney made me feel horrible and questioned everything about me. And I couldn't believe he was doing this in the name of defending this other person. And I, I was mad at the other person who I could see in the trial, but I was more mad at the moment at this conniving defense attorney. One of the pastors at my church was a high integrity guy. He loved God, he loved people. And this pastor believed in me and gave me a chance in ministry. And he's a big reason why I'm still in ministry today. He was called to testify. And he would have deep conversations with this lawyer beyond the trial. He actually built a relationship with this conniving defense attorney. The man was convicted and is in jail to this day. And that attorney died a few years back. And in his hospital room on his deathbed, He made one phone call, and that was to this pastor friend of mine. And that pastor went by his bedside, and the day before he passed away, this man led him to Jesus. It does not matter how far you run from God, you're never too far away from God's life. God says, How can I give you up? How can I do it? My insights churn in protest. My compassion is all brought up. I want to invite uh, Noe and in the worship band to come up. And I want to go back to the question we began with. What is God like? There are no mixed messages here. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There is never a time when God wasn't like Jesus. We, we didn't always know that, but now we do. In Jesus, we see what God is like. What is God like? He's the one on the cross forgiving his enemies with his last dying breath. What is God like? He wooed us in the Old Testament, but he proposed to us on the cross. God has always been like Jesus. There's never a time he wasn't like Jesus. And he woos us on the cross. He wins us over with his love. On the cross, death was arrested. Death was taken captive. Jesus overcame sin and death because we can't. And in Him we have new life, not just eternity in heaven, but that new life that begins here and now called into the purposes of God, called into the mission field of God to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness to Prodigal Church. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, God, for your great love. We thank you, God, that it doesn't make sense, that love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. It's his his own thing. We thank you, God, that 1 John, it declares that God is love. That's not a mixed message. That's not wishful Thinking. You are love. You show us. You showed us on earth 2,000 years ago, and you're moving us towards more love now. So God, we pray for that. For that year two is more fruitful than year one for Prodigal Church. God, I pray for those who feel like they're too far away from you. That they've gone to the west. That they've gone to the wild sea. That they are not too far to be brought back by your love. And for those who are in this place and they've been praying for someone. They've been praying for someone who seems like they're in the wild sea, that they're so far west, there's hope in Jesus, that God, that you can bring them back, that that ship can turn around, that you will settle them in their homes in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you're a place that welcomes prodigals wayward. But God, you also don't just call us out of the rebellious living that find that when we find ourselves in the pig pen, but you call us out of religious living where we can actually be in close proximity to you, but our hearts are far distant because we're lost in religiosity. Call us out of both, God. Call us out of religious living. Call us out of rebellious living, God. We need more of you, more grace, more love. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, for your love, for what you're doing here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we declare that death was arrested on the cross and he lives in us now. was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed only